loving Father in heaven, blessed be thy holy name for giving us the privilege of life. Dear Lord, as we come to you today to fellowship with you, we pray that these moments shall be another building block in our lives to prepare us to be fitted for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we go through your word, grant us of your spirit that we may rightly divide the word of truth. Help us, Lord, to hear things that will keep us stirred up so that we can continue our journey to the heavenly Canaan. I commit myself to your care and I pray please grant me of your spirit and put your words in my mouth that words of blessings and edification will be spoken to your children. Thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There is a limit. Behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 21 Our God is a God of mercy. With long sufferance and tender compassion, he deals with the transgressors of his law. But there is a point beyond which divine patience is exhausted and the judgments of God are sure to follow. The Lord bears long with men and with cities, mercifully giving warnings to save them from divine wrath. But a time will come when pleadings for mercy will no longer be heard. The time is at hand when there will be sorrow in the world that no human balm can heal. The Spirit of God is being withdrawn. Disasters by sea and by land follow one another in quick succession. How frequently we hear of earthquakes and tornadoes, of destruction by fire and flood, with great loss of life and property. Apparently, these calamities are capricious outbreaks of disorganized, unregulated forces of nature, wholly behind the control of man. But in them all, God's purpose may be read. They are among the agencies by which he seeks to arouse men and women to a sense of their danger. God's messengers in the great cities are not to become discouraged over the wickedness, the injustice, the depravity which they are called upon to face while endeavoring to proclaim the glad tidings of salvation. In every city, filled though it may be with violence and crime, there are many who with proper teaching may learn to become followers of Jesus. God's message for the inhabitants of earth today is, Be ye also ready. For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Matthew chapter 24 verse 44 We are standing on the threshold of the crisis of the ages. 
the storm of God's wrath is gathering, and those only will stand who respond to the invitations of mercy as did the inhabitants of Nineveh under the preaching of Jonah, and become sanctified through obedience to the laws of the divine ruler. The righteous alone shall be hid with Christ in God till the desolation be overpassed. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is There is a Limit. We left off looking at the response of the Ninevites to the preaching of Jonah. While Jonah preached, they responded positively. They repented of their sins and the Lord forgave them and the judgments which the Lord promised to bring upon them was withheld. Jonah, on seeing this, became very angry. Jonah chapter 4 verse 1 and 2 says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. And it happened that Jonah and God had a discussion and God told him, Are you... Is it okay for you to be angry? And Jonah said yes. And God made, taught him an object lesson. He made something like a gourd, something to shield him from the sun. Just take it that way. And Jonah was sitting under this uh, plant that was shielding him from the sun. And God made that plant to wither. And the sun became very hot on Jonah to the point that he was almost dying. And he was pleading to the Lord to take his life. And then it says in Jonah chapter 4 from verse 10, Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for which thou hast hast not laboured, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night, and perished in a night. And should should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? In this, the Lord is trying to teach us a lesson. You see, life is sacred, and if we have the same mind with God, we will not display this unmerciful spirit of Jonah. Like Moses, rather, we will plead for the inhabitants of the world, hoping they repent and they will be saved. Jesus has paid a dear price and has worked the hardest for the salvation of man. If we have a just conception of this, we will not be quick to give up on any man or be careless with their lives or wish them dead like Jonah was doing. In Romans 8 verse 32, we are told, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? In other words, God is saying, how can one give up without a fight on a project that costs you all your resources? In sending his son to die on the cross for our sins, the Father gave to man all heaven's treasures and resources. And if he did this, How can we expect him to give up so easily on a project that has cost him all that he has? Jonah was not in tune with God in this matter. He was willing to see many perish in their sins, not caring that the loss of man is God's loss. He did not invest in those people's lives, and yet he wanted them to be destroyed, when the person who had invested in their lives wouldn't want that to happen. The Lord is not quick to give up on man and will wait long before he gives us up and we can thank him for that. We have seen that in yesterday's devotion. However, the mercies of God has a limit and that's what we're looking at today. The title of our devotion once again is, 
there is a limit. There comes a time when the Lord actually gives up. As for Nineveh, they repented. And we will see what happened to them later because that's the capital of Assyria. They repented of their sins and for many years, the Lord deferred the judgment which he was supposed to bring upon them. But for us, we must understand that God had only 40 days left in his counting for Nineveh. And that is a lesson. Do not, we, do, we shouldn't joke with God. We do not know the time. But he does have a time for every individual and also every nation. Reading from Testimonies Volume 5, page 208, paragraph 2, quoting now from a Bible passage. Remember, the Lord had told Abraham the reason why he hadn't given him Canaan was that the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. That means the Lord is counting. So I read now, it says, Of the Amorites, the Lord said, In the fourth generation they shall come hither again. For the, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Although this nation was conspicuous because of its idolatry and corruption, it had not yet filled up the cup of its iniquity, and God would not give command for its utter destruction. The people were to see the divine power manifested in a marked manner, that they might be left without excuse. The compassionate Creator was willing to bear with their iniquity until the fourth generation. Then, if no change was seen for the better, His judgments were to fall upon them with unerring accuracy the infinite one still keeps an account with all nations while his mercy is tendered with calls to repentance this account will remain open but when the figures reach a certain amount which god has fixed the ministry of his wrath commences the account is closed divine patience ceases there is no more pleading of mercy in their behalf." End of quote. Brothers and sisters, these words I read now are very solemn. For every nation and also every individual, God has accounting he does. And he has the figures of sin to a particular level and he knows when it reaches this level and he says now, the cup is full, destruction will come. Nineveh, we'll talk about them much later. As at the time Jonah preached, they repented. But as we look at this, we have to understand that when the Lord said 40 days left, he meant every width of what he said, 40 days was actually left. Do you know that the Lord is counting for you and also for me? How long left? I don't know. And that's the reason why today, now is the day of salvation. We do not know when our cup will be full. We do not know when, as a nation too, our cup will be full. Like we read, and this time in a Prophets and Kings, page 275, paragraph 3 and uh, 276, it says, Our God is a God of mercy. With long sufferance and tender compassion, he deals with the transgressors of his law. And yet in this our day, when men and women have so many opportunities for becoming familiar with the divine law as revealed in the Holy Writ, the great ruler of the universe, cannot behold with any satisfaction the wicked cities where reign violence and crime. The end of God's forbearance with those who persist in disobedience is approaching rapidly. Ought men to be surprised over a sudden and unexpected change in the dealings of the supreme ruler with the inhabitants of a fallen world? Ought they to be surprised when punishment follows transgression and increasing crime? 
ought they to be surprised that God should bring destruction and death upon those whose ill-gotten gains have been obtained through deception and fraud? Notwithstanding the fact that increasing light regarding God's requirements has been shining in their pathway, many have refused to recognize Jehovah's rulership and have chosen to remain under the black banner of the originator of all rebellion against the government of heaven. End of quote. It should not surprise us, that's the answer. We shouldn't be surprised when we see nations being destroyed of other nations. The Lord's hand is in it. It shouldn't surprise us when calamities befall this world because of the crime and iniquity that fills the world. It shouldn't surprise us when some are taken away. We just left off looking at Elisha. He died of illness, but the Lord was in it. But there are others who God is the one that takes them away because their cup is full. Why do I say so? Jesus himself taught this lesson that he keeps accounting with man. This is not just for nations now. We have already dealt with nations. What we have been talking about now, the iniquity of the Amorites as a nation is not yet full. But then there is the same counting for every individual. Jesus taught this. In the book of Luke 13, from verse 6 to 9, it says, He spake also this parable, A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruits thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I came seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. In this parable Jesus told, the message is clear. It is telling us that there are times when God has worked so hard on our behalf and then he says, why am I leaving this person alive? I have been putting so much resources into his life, into her life to see her come into the truth, but it's all for no avail. What is the point in leaving this person alive? Cut it down. But then our Lord Jesus says, let it alone a while. Let us keep trying. Let's put some more dung on it and see whether it will bear fruit. If it bears fruit, amen. But if it does not bear fruit, cut it down. In other words, when the Lord has persistently brought dung, what does this dung represent? He brings nutrients. What is the nutrient? The word of God, his grace, the Holy Spirit into the life trying to change us and consistently there is no change. We remain the same. A time comes when he says, let it alone. Cut it down. The f- reading from Pip- Prophets and Kings, page 276, paragraph 2 and 3 says, The forbearance of God has been very great, so great that when we consider the continuous insults to his holy commandments, we marvel. The omnipotent one has been exerting a restraining power over his own attributes, but he will certainly arise to punish the wicked who so boldly defy the just claims of the Decalogue. God allows men, this is not nations now, men, you and me, you who are listening, God is allowing you, he's checking you and he's checking me for a time of probation, a period of probation. But there is a point beyond which divine patience is exhausted and the judgments of God are sure to follow upon me and you. The Lord bears long with you and the Lord bears long with me and he bears long with cities mercifully giving warnings that's the dung now mercifully giving warnings putting the dung around it to save them from divine wrath 
but a time will come when pleadings for mercy will no longer be heard and the rebellious element that continues to reject the light of truth will be blotted out in mercy to themselves and to those who would otherwise be influenced by their example end of quote do not think that the lord is wicked when he's doing this there are many who if they were not existing on this earth there are other people who would have fared better but because of the influence of the wicked more wicked people are produced and the lord is just and right when he says cut it down because he sees that he's doing that in mercy for both that person that's being cut down and the others remaining in the world it is better that such people should be cut down that is the judgment of god but who are such people we are referring to it may be you and it may be me also if we continually hear instruction from the word of god counsels advice the word of god in his decalogue speaking to us through the ministers and there is no visible change in our lives the lord comes to a point where he says why cumbered the ground cut it down he has reached his limit she has reached her limit you see now is the time to for us now to look at the nation of israel remember that israel was divided into two the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom the northern kingdom had something like this happening to them the lord was counting their iniquities and time after time he sent messengers to speak to them since the days that the lord divided israel the first king jeroboam departed from the lord because he was power hungry and wanted to consolidate consolidate the kingdom under himself he instituted a system of worship in israel which became a snare to all of israel the lord bore long with him sending prophet after prophet after prophet to help him and also to help israel there was elijah Elisha, Amos, Hosea, Obadiah, Abijah, and all the men in the schools of the prophets in Gilgal, Bethel, and Jericho, these people were there to give the message of warning to the kings and to the people who were following after other gods. These men labored to bring Israel back to the worship of the true God. But king after king continued to worship the scene of Jeroboam. Nadab after Jeroboam, that's Nadab the son of Jeroboam, Basha, Ella, Zimri, all continued in the scene of Jeroboam. Jeroboam's scene became an instituted norm and a national scene which was difficult to efface. The next king after Zimri took it to another level. His name is Omri. 1 Kings 16 verse 25 speaks about him like this. It says, But Omri wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all that were before him. And after Omri, his son reigned next. His name is the popular one in the world today. He is none other than King Ahab. If his father was Jeroboam 2.0, Ahab was Jeroboam 3.0, the worst of the kings of Israel. His son was no better. God then raised up a man to destroy their family and that man was Jehu. Jehu became king. Jehu utterly destroyed all of Ahab's household, even Jezebel, and all, all as in every single Baal worshipper in Israel, Jehu destroyed all of them. Not one was left. He ensured that he did it to the letter. But whenever I read Jehu's story, I don't want to dwell on it so much, but the first time I ever read of this man, I was so disappointed. I had never read of Jehu. I saw how Jehu was zealous for the Lord and he told Jonadab, who was supposed to be, I think, the father of the Rechabites, he said, come and see my zeal for the Lord. Jehu utterly wiped out Ahab's family and every Baal worshipper. But the Bible records concerning him 
that he also did not depart from the scene of Jeroboam. He continued to worship those golden calves in Bethel and in Dan. And he also instituted the scene. And he continued in the national scene. All the kings of Israel continued in the scene of Jeroboam. After Jehu, there was Jehoash and Jehoahaz were the next. And they, the Bible says of them, that they did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, that they departed not from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. They walked therein. After them came a man called Jeroboam the second. Wow. This man, his record reads thus: Second Kings 14 verse 24. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. It was in Jeroboam the second's days that the Lord raised up the herdman of Tekoa, the herdman of Tekoa known as Amos. He was raised up to be a prophet and he spoke very strongly against the sin of Jeroboam II in Bethel and in Gilgal and in Dan. He said in Amos 5 from verse 1 and 2, Hear ye this word which I take up against you, even a lamentation, O house of Israel. The virgin of Israel is fallen. She shall no more rise. She is forsaken upon her land. There is none to raise her up. In verse 5 and 6 he said, But seek not Bethel nor enter into Gilgal and pass not to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity and Bethel shall come to naught. Seek the Lord and you shall live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it and there be none to quench it in Bethel. Just for perspective, Jeroboam II was perhaps like the greatest of the kings of Israel that's the northern kingdom. During his time, there was another king in the southern kingdom and uh, he was a contemporary to Uzziah. They are one of the greatest kings of Judah also. Jeroboam II had succeeded in subduing the nations that were um, oppressing Israel and he had extended the northern kingdom to its real borders. The Philistines were conquered by him. The Ammonites were conquered by him. He was established in his kingdom. I think even the Edomites were conquered by him. Jeroboam II was living in a time of great, great prosperity. It wasn't like those days when there, were famine, when there was famine. And it was in these days that Israel went deeper into sin. And that's why Amos was saying the things he was saying. They were worshipping other gods, the sun, the moon, the stars, all kinds of things. And Amos spoke to them. Amos 5 verse 8, Seek him that maketh the seven stars and Orion, and turneth the shadow of death into the morning, and maketh the day dark with night, that calleth the, for the waters of the sea and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. From verse 11 to 15 he says, For as much therefore as your treading is upon the poor, and you take from him burdens of wheat. You have built houses hewn of hewn stone. You see their riches? They have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink the wine of them. For I know your manifold transgressions. Hold on. You know, as we are reading this, understand that the Lord is speaking to us today also. God is saying, I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins. They afflict the just. They take a bribe and they turn aside the poor in the gate from their right. Therefore, the prudent shall keep silence in that time, for it is an evil time. And then he, he, t- he says to us, seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts shall be with you as you have spoken. Hate the evil love the good and establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph, 
With such words, Amos tried to bring Israel back to the worship of the true God. And when he saw it was not prevailing anything, he kept on speaking. Amos chapter 6, reading from verse 1, he then said, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion, and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations, to whom the house of Israel came. Pass ye unto Calneh and see, and from thence go ye to Hamath the Great. Then go down to Gath of the Philistines, be they better than these kingdoms, or their borders greater than your border? Ye that put far away the evil day, and cause the seeds of violence to come near, that lie upon beds of ivory. So you see, these were the kind of this was the kind of luxurious life they were living in the days of Jerubam II. He says that lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches and eat the lambs out of the flock and the cows out of the midst of the stall that chant to the sound of the vial and invent to themselves instruments of music like David that drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Therefore now shall they go captive with the first that go captive and the banquet of and the banquet of them that stretched themselves shall be removed the lord god had sworn by himself said the lord the god of hosts i abhor the excellency of jacob and hate his palaces therefore will i deliver up the city with all that is therein and it shall come to pass if there remain ten men in one house that they shall die and in verse 14 he said but behold i will raise up against you a nation o house of israel saith the lord the god of hosts and they shall afflict you from the entering in of hermat unto the river of the wilderness there is a lesson to learn from the life of amos the prophet he lived in a time of great apostasy in fact if you read amos 7 another prophet arose i think prophet abijah also and said amos leave this kingdom you are troubling us you have said jeroboam shall die go and preach in judah and stop preaching all these things in at the land of the northern kingdom and amos said oh i am not any prophet i was a herd man and the lord called me to come and do a work for him and then he proclaimed to the prophet your wife is going to die and the wife died amos met head to head the evils that were going on in his time and that's why we are told in our devotion for today conflict and courage page 231 paragraph 4 and 5 god's messengers in the great cities are not to become discouraged over the wickedness the injustice the depravity which they are called upon to face while endeavoring to proclaim the glad tidings of salvation in every city filled though it may be with violence and crime there are many who with proper teaching may learn to become followers of jesus God's message for the inhabitants of earth today is, Be ye also ready. End of quote. So, after Amos uh, died, and of course, during the days of Amos, Jeroboam II was there. After Jeroboam II, the next kings that came were not any better. From Zechariah to Shalom who killed Zechariah and Menahem and Pekaniah and Pekah. The record against them is this, And they did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. They departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. Wow. King after king after king. How many kings have I mentioned now? At least 10 of them. If you start from Jeroboam to Nadab to Basha to Zimri and down to Omri and then Ahab, then Jehoahaz, Jehoahaz. That's eight already. Now to Jeroboam the second, Zechariah, Shalom, Menahem, Pekaniah, Pekah. This is 14 kings have gone. All of them 
following after other gods, 14 kings. And finally, the Lord saw that Israel's matter could not be remedied. Israel was gradually going away from the position where God could spare them. Their cup was getting full and then another prophet had risen and the Lord used him to say concerning Israel and that is prophet Hosea. In Hosea chapter 4 reading from verse 6 the Lord could see that there was no remedy for Israel anymore. He says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. I want you to apply this to your own self as an individual. We can be destroyed for lack of knowledge. Going on, he says, Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing that thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I also will forget thy children. As they were increased, so they sinned against me. Therefore will I change their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people, and they set their heart on their iniquity. Hmm? And there shall be like people, like priests. And I will punish them for their ways and reward their doings. In verse 16, it says, For Israel slided back as a backsliding heifer. Now the Lord will feed them as a lamb in a large place. And eventually a time came and then the proclamation was made concerning Israel. Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. The Lord finally gave up. There is a limit. And the Lord gave up on Israel, the northern kingdom. The last king of Israel was a man called King Hoshea. The Lord finally sold them over to the Assyrians. Until today, as we speak, the northern kingdom has gone into oblivion. The nine tribes of Israel, that is ex the other three tribes, which is Judah, Benjamin, and the Levites, which were in the southern kingdom, they remained. But the other nine tribes they completely wiped out. In the book of 2 Kings, chapter 17, talking about this king Hosea, the Bible says that he began to reign. But in verse 3, it says, Against him came up Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, and Hosea became his servant and gave him presents. Verse 5 says, Then the king of Assyria came up throughout all the land and went to, up to Samaria and besieged it three years because Hosea betrayed him of course and in verse 6 hear these words now of the sad ending of israel the northern kingdom and try to read in this something that could happen to you and me that when the lord has persistently brought message after message to us a time comes when he gives up and lets us alone like he said about ephraim they are joined to their idols let, let them alone Reading now from Second Kings 17, from verse 7, it says, From verse 6, it says, In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria and placed them in Hala and in harbor by the river Gozan and in the cities of the Medes. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods. Do you see how long? Sometimes, you know, we, dis we, we make this story disjointed. This is the end of the beginning of something. What was the beginning? When God called Abraham. That You can call that the beginning. But then we can go to the book of Exodus to say, when the Lord called Israel out of Egypt, he began a project with them. This project was supposed to take just a few months. 
But how many years have gone since then? How many kings have we seen in the northern kingdom? Did I, just, I just counted like 15 kings, excluding Solomon, excluding Saul and David. How many years the Lord has tried to accomplish that thing that he said he would accomplish since he brought them out of Egypt? He bore long with them for hundreds and hundreds of years, for centuries. But a time came and the Lord said, it's over. Since I brought them out of Egypt, they've been stiff-necked. They joined idols. Don't forget that this is the end of that project. Many years project, but it failed because Israel would not comply. It says, why, let's read why they did not, why it didn't work out. And you will read in this things that can apply to ourselves why the project God is doing with us may not work out. And we should know what should we do so that the project will work. The Lord wants to build his image in us. He wants to use us as a means to reach the rest of the nations of the world, the hidden nations, to bring the light of truth unto them. But Israel could not do that. You who are listening, you are your own Israel. Are you doing the same thing they were doing? Or are you fulfilling the will of God? What was it they did, by the way, and how can we apply it to ourselves? Reading 2 Kings chapter 17, from verse 9 now. Okay, I'll start from verse 7 again to put it in perspective so that we understand. It says, For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt, and had feared other gods, and walked in the statutes of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel, and of the kings of Israel, which they had made. And the children of Israel did secretly those things that were not right against the Lord their God. And they built them high places in all their cities from the tower of the watchmen to the fenced city. And they set them up images and groves in every high hill and under every green tree. And there they burnt incense in all their high places, as did the heathen whom the Lord carried away before them, and wrought wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. For they served idols, whereof the Lord had said unto them, You shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and Judah, but by all the prophets and all the seers, saying, Turn you from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes, according to all the law which I commanded your fathers, and which I sent to you by my servants the prophets. Notwithstanding, they would not hear, but hardened their necks, like to the neck of their fathers, that did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and his testimonies which he testified against them. And they followed vanity and they became vain and went after the heathen that were round about them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. Do you know the Lord charged them? Leviticus 18, don't do like them. And what were these things that they were doing? This is just a summary. I like to be specific. And I always be I'm specific when I mention these things. It may look to you like a small thing. But Israel is doing the same things. We're doing the same things that we are doing today. Joining the hidden in the cinemas to watch the movies of their gods. Dressing like the world around them. Worshipping the way they worship. Changing the services to do things that the heathen does in their own services changing the statutes of the Lord and doing what they like. It was things like this that we are doing today that made the Lord to reject them. There is a limit. There is a limit. 
And if we reach the limits, what happened to Israel will happen to us as individuals and also as nations. Verse 17 says, And they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire, and used divination and enchantments, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah only. My oh my. Let's not play with God. God is not joking with us. There is a limit in our personal lives and there is a limit for every nation. Through his dealing with the kings of Israel, God seeks to impress on our minds that a sin that has grown old with age is still a sin in his eyes. A sin may be instituted and accepted by the mightiest and most influential people, but it only renders the sin more odious and disgusting in God's sight. God also would use this lesson to show us what he expects from those who are leaders. He expects that they are not to continue in the sins of their predecessors, but to do away with it. They are not excused when they plead that they are only doing what their predecessors had done. He requires a change. Many of the kings who reigned in Israel were put there by God and were expected to lead Israel back to God, but they were all power-hungry, jealous and self-centered people who were control freaks. Especially so was the case of Basha and Jehu who God raised up to lead Israel back to God. They were not intending to bring glory to God. If they were, they would have urged Israel to go back to Jerusalem and worship instead of in Bethel and Dan and Gilgal, even if it meant what Jeroboam feared would happen. But they didn't care about God. They cared about themselves. You see, God may allow such ones to reign for a while, but he will surely visit such people in judgments. Be careful who you are following. Today in our churches, Sin has become old with age to the point that people are saying that's how it was always done. There was once a Jeroboam who started those things that to you look alright today in your church. Jeroboam began something that could not be eradicated but nobody had the courage to remove Jeroboam's sin and it became the destruction of everybody. Some of us are born into the church today, the Christian church, and we see a lot of things and they say, oh, this height has always been done. Do you know that a Jeroboam instituted it and you are following it? Sunday worship, a Jeroboam instituted it, and many are still following. The dress that today looks as if it's okay, that is revealing the body, and people come to the church that way. There was once a Jeroboam who started it. Seeing that grows old with age is still seen in the eyes of God. Don't say, oh, that's what everybody's doing, therefore I will do it. You will be destroyed along with them. We must have moral courage to separate ourselves. But if God comes and finds us in that way and continues to plead with us, following, and we're still following the sin, then a time will come when we will reach the limit and the Lord will say, it is over for us. Finally, I read from Review and Herald, May 2nd, 1893. It says, let us consider solemnly the dealings of God with nations and individuals that we may avoid taking a course that will ruin us through transgression of the law of God. Let us treasure up every blessing, every heaven-sent ray of light, in warnings, in reproofs, in tokens of mercy given to us. Let us not be among those who lightly regard God's forbearance. The figures of their iniquity are traced with unerring accuracy in the records of heaven and are rapidly accumulating to the full measure of their guilt. God is still sending his precious messages of truth. He is still revealing precious gems of truth 
that have been hidden beneath the rubbish of error. He is still making plain his overtures of mercy, his willingness to pardon transgression and sin. God does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. With tearful utterance, the husbandman says, What more could I do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? The unrivaled mercies and blessings of God have been showered upon our nation. It has been a land of liberty and the glory of the earth, of the whole earth, referring to the United States of America now. But instead of returning gratitude, and you can apply this to yourself individually, God may have blessed you greatly and prospered you. And just like the US, it says, but instead of returning gratitude to God, instead of honoring God and his law, the professed Christians of America have become leavened with pride, covetousness, and self-sufficiency. The love of money, which is the root of all evil, has had a large place in their hearts. Of course, they talk about the Green New Deal. Then they say something like the Great American Dream. It's all about money. Going on in the reading, it says, Many whose names are upon the church records have oppressed the poor and grasped every possible advantage over those who were under them. They have lived to gratify appetite, to make extravagant display, and pride is fast making a Sodom of our world. But God is keeping his reckoning. The treatment of the poor, the robbery of the widow and the fatherless by those who are lifted up against the weak and helpless is all written in the book of heaven. The cries of those who are oppressed have reached the ears of him who judges righteously. The time has come when judgment is falling in the streets and equity cannot enter, and he that departed from evil may get himself a prey. But the Lord's arm is not shortened that it cannot save, and his ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. The people of the United States have been a favored people, and you individually might have been a favored person. But when we restrict religious liberty, surrender Protestantism, and give countenance to popery, the measure of their guilt will be full and national apostasy will be registered in the books of heaven. The result of this apostasy will be national ruin." End of quote. So in the time in which we live, our cup will be full when religious liberty is taken away. Today we are coming close to that and the cup will soon be full. Speech is being restricted. People are being restricted from following God according to the dictates of their conscience. Many pretexts are used for this purpose. The last time what was used was a so-called pandemic and people's liberties were taken from them and they couldn't worship God the way they wanted. Under one pretext or the other, the liberties of the people are being taken away from them. Do you want to know when our cup will be full in this present world? It is when religious liberty is restricted. It is when people are not free to speak the truth like Amos was free. It is when people cannot say the word of God as they want to say it. It is when people are not permitted to worship God as they want to. Then national ruin and national apostasy will take place. May the Lord help us not to be a part of this thing that will fill the cup and as individuals in our personal lives. May the Lord give us grace to live in harmony with his law so that he will not give up on us. Let us pray. Our dear Father in heaven, we do not know where we stand right now, whether our cup is almost full, we do not know. Therefore, Lord, we pray, please have mercy upon us. We know that now is the day of salvation and we bring ourselves to you and pray, Lord, please receive us into your care. We want to be like the Ninevites who responded to the message of mercy positively and repent of our sins. Grant us your grace, take away our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh that we may not be stiff-necked anymore 
but that we may live lives in harmony with your will. Thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Tomorrow could very 